This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. If we can uh, all find a seat, please. And if I could ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are uh, in a series of messages on the theme of community, and we're kind of uh, sticking on that a little bit longer here, but a series on community, and last week we looked at the first few verses of Ephesians 4, and we're just going to look at the verses that come directly after that, but let me set a little bit of the context of uh, Ephesians 4 for you in case you weren't here last week, um, or if you're new to the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, it is great to have you here. Um, We're so thankful you'd be with us. But what we said about the book of Ephesians is it has a very simple outline and breakdown. The first three chapters are primarily about what God has done for us, really exclusively about that. I think there's one command in the first three chapters. So it's all announcing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that he sent Christ to be the one who would die in our place and to forgive our sins, that he would adopt us as his own, that he would take our dead hearts and make them alive in Jesus Christ through faith. So the the first three chapters are all about what God has done. The next four chapters are about how we're to respond to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And it starts, we looked at this last week, it starts with maintain the unity that God has provided. So Paul's starting place, after he talks about all that Christ has done, his starting place to talk about how are we to live, how are we to respond, or as he says, how are we to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling we've received? What does that look like? He starts with community. He starts with not you individually, but y'all as a group. And he says that y'all are to maintain the unity that Christ has provided. We made a big deal about that last week that I just think it's very noteworthy that Paul's starting place is community when he talks about applying the gospel in the life of the church and not just the individual. So today I'm going to start where we finished and look at verses 7 through 16. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro. So I'm sorry, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, we pray that the truth of this scripture would penetrate our hearts this morning. God, we don't want to sit in here and hear a religious lecture and go through the motions But Lord, we want an encounter with you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts this morning, that you would wake us up where we need to be awoken, that we would repent where necessary, that we would ultimately see you as the one who is building your body, your community. And Lord, we pray that we as Grace Church would be about what you are about and that we would be led to, uh, God, emphasize your emphasis in this passage in our life together. So change us, help us, empower us by your spirit, we pray. Lord, I pray that you'd give me strength and clarity to declare your word faithfully to the wonderful folks gathered here. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a very dense passage. I'm not going to be able to break down and look at every word of it like we normally uh, do. This will be a little bit more of an overview and feel of this passage. But this passage expands the theme of God building a community. So Christ has died. Christ has given his life. Christ is building a people together for himself. That's the first three chapters. We are to maintain the unity that he has developed. He has died for. He has built. And we are to maintain the unity in our community is the calling. And then this next passage goes on to talk about the goal of what's to happen in community. In other words, God doesn't just build a community together so that we all are on the same team and we all can say we're Christians and we all can just sort of, uh, you know, come and gather today for a teaching and then go about our way. He's building us together in community for a purpose. And this passage talks about one of the primary purposes of community. And it's simply this, the goal of community is maturity. The goal of community is maturity. Now we could look at some other passages and and likely will in the coming weeks that talk about the goal of the community, the church community also being that we're built together so that we're equipped and empowered and sent to reach those who don't know Christ. So we could say the community is built for reaching out and there's passages that talk about that. This passage, however, talks about the community is built so that we may grow up. The community, God builds the community so that we may grow up. And the process of this is seen in in motion in this text. This, This sounds like an oversimplification, but I think here is the motion of this text that shows us how God intends to build his people up together in community. And it's this, that Christ goes up, gifts come down, so that the church may grow up. Those are the three ideas here. That that Christ goes up in the ascension. He pours out the Spirit in gifts. The gifts come down, so to speak, come down to empower the church so that we may be built together and we may grow up 
in maturity and in Christ. Because the goal of community is maturity for us to grow up. So I'm going to look at those three movements in this text and uh, spend a little time on one and two, but really camp on three if I use my time well. And the first one is Christ goes up. Look at verse 8. Therefore it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, I put in the name Jesus because Paul's using this passage to, uh, to reflect the work of Christ. This is from Psalm 68. And it's a picture of God ascending in the temple to an exalted position. It's the, the king ascending to his place of rulership. And here it says, when you steer of Christ, that he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. This original passage in Psalm 68 is a, is a, is a picture of what would happen in the ancient world when a king won a war, won a battle. That he would lead a host of captives and that he would give gifts to his people. So when a king would defeat an enemy... He and his army would come back into the town, come back among his people, and he would have behind him a string of captives. So those who were prisoner of war, those who had been defeated, oftentimes the enemy king and rulers from them, would come in a parade behind the king to show to the people, this is the enemy that I have defeated. And with him as well, he would give gifts to men, as is said here. So there would be chariots filled with the spoils of war. So what the king was able to take from the other nation as he defeated them, their valuable possessions, their, their, their jewels, their uh, whatever it would be that they had of value, they would bring in the chariots, they would bring back into town, if it was an age when they had chariots, they would bring them back into town, and then he would distribute gifts, the, the booty, the bounty of his great victory, he would distribute that to the army and to the people. And so Psalm 68 uses that same picture and Paul says here, Jesus ascended on high. He led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Jesus ascends. He is exalted. He is then seated at the right hand of the Father. And behind him, he has a trail of captives as well. Jesus defeats the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the grave, the power of the enemy and all his minions, the prince of the power of the air. The satanic forces that assault, attempt to assault God's kingdom and God's people. He has them defeated and he, in essence, uh, metaf metaphorically here, leads this parade of defeated enemies, sin, death, and beyond. And then he gives gifts to men. Verse 7 says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That These are grace gifts. That's not saving grace. That's gifting grace because he then goes on and talks specifically about gifts. So he, he, he is exalted and he hands out gifts to his church. The distribution of gifts in the New Testament is tied to the ascension and the victory of Jesus. We see this in Acts 2 where it says that uh, Peter stands up in Acts 2 and says, this Jesus that God raised up, and of, that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having ex received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, has poured out on you uh, on this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So on the day of Pentecost, there are spiritual gifts poured out on the church. And Peter says, this is what happened. Christ has ascended. He's now pouring out his Spirit. And these gifts represent and demonstrate the pouring out of the Spirit. So Christ goes up. 
He defeats the power of the enemy through his death, resurrection, but then these important components of his ascension and his exaltation, his seating next to the right of the hand of the Father. He pours out gifts. So these gifts come down, if we could say it that way. And verse 11, we, we get a, a, a narrow picture of certain gifts. Verse 7 is to each is given a gift. Verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 11 is a more narrow group. Look what he says. This is a narrowing of each of us in verse 7. And he says here, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Number two, gifts come down. And he describes in particularly of all the gifts, these certain leadership gifts, these certain uh, gifts that have a role in building the community, the people of God. And he lists these gifts not because they're more valuable. We looked at another gift list a few weeks ago, Romans 12. He could have listed a lot of gifts. He lists these gifts because he's talking about community, not because these individuals or their gifts are more valuable, but because each of these roles is a leadership role, and thus it plays a strategic part in, as he says here, equipping, leading, building the community, facilitating ministry in the life of of the community. So he mentions each of these. They have a strategic role in what? Verse 12, equipping the saints. The saints is the church, the people of God, and equipping the saints for the work of ministry, that is, for the work of service in the life of the church. Christ goes up in ascension power. He pours out gifts. Some of those gifts are leaders who then equip the community so that they may do the work of service, they may be involved in the work of service, and they may build up, is the second phrase, verse 12, they may build up the body of Christ. Now, he doesn't define those five, and I'm not going to take time to do that right here. Uh, we've done that before. We need to, to look at some other texts to help define them. I'm not going to do that, but I just want to suffice it to say right now that these leadership roles are given to equip, empower, train, and deploy the whole church the whole community for the work of ministry, the whole body, the whole church, the whole family, every individual has a gift, has a part, has a role, has service to do, and leaders are to equip them to do that, to oversee the community, to ensure that it's happening, to train the community so that the community is released to do what God has called them to do. The goal of community is to mature, That's what this means when he says the building up of the body of Christ. So he first of all says they may be equipped to do works of service. So that's every member involvement. Leaders are to equip people so that every leader, I mean, every person has involvement in the church, but also this building up that they are growing and maturing. I mean, an example of this is kind of what's happening this morning or what's happened for weeks. So one of the roles I have is to be a, a pastor teacher, as it says here, or a shepherd teacher. And so the reason I'm teaching this from the scripture and looking at a number of scriptures is I'm trying to open up the scripture and cast a vision so that we can all participate in the life of community, so that we're all equipped for works of service, so that we are all building up the church by our participation, so that the whole body labors together. And that's why we've been looking at things like loving each other, serving each other, taking an interest in the spiritual well-being, of each 
other, caring for each other, maintaining the unity that Christ provides together, being patient, we talked about last week, with each other. Or we did a whole message on gifts, using the gifts that God has given us for the building up of the body of, church, of, of Christ. So I've been doing that, teaching that, so that we would all participate. The, the goal of what I'm doing here is not to make community happen. I can't make community happen. It's not so that I, as a leader, come and have community with every one of you. That's impossible. None of us can, no one is, can do that. But it's so that I could teach God's Word, so that we could hear God's Word, that we could apply God's Word and be equipped in some way. Equipping is more than this. But that we could be equipped in some way to then build the church up as each one does his or her works of service and ministry. So gifts are used to build the church up and leadership gifts are used to equip the church so they can do, we can all do what God has called us to do. In this series, I've talked a lot about our care groups. We've talked a lot about our small groups. And it occurs to me that at the small group level, that's where our community primarily takes place. And it occurs to me that at the small group level, our care group leaders, um, they exercise a kind of service and leadership that, that makes this happen as well. You know, care group leader wasn't one of them. It didn't say apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, teachers, care group leaders. I mean, that wasn't one of them. But we, we could find that gift in Scripture. We could look over at Romans 12 and say, he who has the gift of leadership, lead with zeal. So they have a leadership gift. And they certainly have a shepherding gift as well with a, maybe a lowercase s. They may not be in the office of shepherd, but they are shepherding by their care and by their love of other people. And it made me think as we're looking at this passage and the building up of the body of Christ, how, how valuable these servants are in our church to facilitate community. I mean, I'm so grateful, so grateful for the small group leaders and their wives in the life of our church. We have some significantly gifted leaders. We have people that are um, gifted with people. We have people that are doctrinally sound. We have leaders that uh, have, uh, have the ability to... Um, to lead others. We have people that are discerning. But, but what is most impressive to me about our small group leaders is their heart and their heart to do this, their heart to facilitate ministry in the life of the church. Um, I was thinking about our small group leaders recently and just the amount of time that they invest and give because of a deep love for the community, um, because of a deep love for us, I mean, we just benefit from their love. I mean, as pastors, they have helped us tremendously. They care for the church. They serve tirelessly. They are available. I don't know if you've thought about this, but our small group leaders are always on, if I could say that. I mean, they don't, none of them have a badge on this morning. If you're new, you wouldn't even know who they are. None of them have a badge on this morning that says care group leader, and I'm wearing my badge at every meeting. I'm official, <laughs> like a kid sheriff badge or something. It's not like that. They don't do that. But you know what? They can't come to this meeting without being a care group leader. They can't say, well, this Sunday I'm off. No, you should feel free to ask them for prayer this Sunday at a church picnic, at a football game, at an outing. They're always people that offer themselves to care. They always have that role. I mean, they can never hear a sermon if it's a week that they're leading a discussion. They can never hear a sermon just for themselves. 
Hopefully you're listening. The care group leaders right now are listening and applying this to their lives. I'm sure they are. Um, But they're always listening with you in mind. Did you know that? I mean, every sermon, at some point, they're thinking, how can I take this into the living room this week and see that all of us understand and apply and are helped by this? So they have to listen with themselves in mind primarily, their family in mind secondly, and all of us, you, those group members in mind as well. I mean, some of them are right now writing down notes. Point number three, brag on the effective job of service that I do every week. (laughs) Point number two of the discussion. What did you think about that point about how the care group leaders labor tremendously? (laughs) Can we talk about that? And then we we receive an offering for the care group leaders, you know. (laughs) So hopefully they're not writing that down right now. This would be a point you shouldn't discuss in your group this week, though. If a group member wanted to bring this up, that would be great. You can, you can, uh, you know, sabotage the group and take over this week if you'd like to say this about them. But they always serve. You know, last week when we talked about being patient with one another, that whenever you're in a Community will always require patience, and Paul doesn't put that at the end. He starts with that. It's a given. Do you know that they are patient, you're patient with them, and they help others be patient with one another? Oftentimes a conflict comes up. They get in the middle of that to help work it out and help one another, love one another. They pray. They give counsel. They prepare meetings. Some of them open their homes for the meetings, but they all open their homes and their hearts to people. Um, they logistically prepare. They pray for you personally and then prepare for the meetings. I mean, it's just really no overstatement that our church, what God's blessed us with, with the sense of community here, but it would not be happening were it not for our small group leaders. I mean, they are really the ones who help facilitate that community. And when I think about our church, we've got plenty of weaknesses But when I think of our strengths, by God's grace, at the top of the list is our small group leaders. It really is. God has blessed us with tremendous, tremendous small group leaders and their wives who sacrifice right alongside them and with them as a couple. So I I thank God for them. But you know what else? I also thought of them this week as I was looking at this, that leaders, I understand they're not only one of the five here, but they are leaders, that their goal is, in leading community and leading the care group is not to do all of the ministry, but it is to equip, or in their case, probably we could say facilitate the ministry so that they facilitate the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. So they facilitate ministry. They don't do all the ministry. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. They, they don't do all the ministry. They equip the church so that we all can do the ministry. And same with the care group leader. They don't do all the ministry, but they facilitate that in the community. through op- Help us to open our lives. Help us to serve one another. Help us to use our gifts. Matter of fact, if they did it all, if all phone calls were made by the care group leader, if all serving was made by the care group leader, if all organization, if all fellowship happened because they initiated it, um, not only would they be dead because these people, all, because these people all work 50 hours a week in the marketplace and uh, and then do this in their free time, so not only would they be dead, but they'd be a bad leader. Because here, a good leader is one who facilitates the body doing the work of the ministry, so it can build itself up. Not that they monopolize or demand or do everything in. The ministry. So as I thought about this, I thought about community. I thought about, thank you, Lord, 
for how they help facilitate so that we can all be involved. And thank you, Lord, for this wise leadership that you endorse, that a leader facilitates everybody involved in ministry. So that calls us to step up and jump in. And that uh, calls all of us to participate in community and not wait for our care group leader or some other leader to make community happen, but for us to step out and apply what God calls us to in the Scripture and to own and take responsibility ourselves for community. So we want to have realistic expectations. We want to be grateful, have realistic expectations about their calling. What are they actually called to do? So here's what we've covered so far. Christ go up, gifts go down. Gifts come down. The ascended Christ pours out gifts, a number of gifts, and leadership gifts in particular are given so that leaders may equip, empower, train, and help facilitate life in the community, serving, building itself up in love. Why do those two things happen? Number three, so that the church grows up. So Christ goes up, gifts come down so that the church can grow up, so that the church can become mature. God's plan for the community is, the, is that we become like Christ. Look at verse 13. Until, so these people are to be equipped to do the work of service, to build up the body of Christ, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm pretty sure we could spend hours breaking down those phrases. Here's a quick overview of what is being talked about there. The measure of maturity is Christ-likeness. That's the measure. The goal of maturity is for us to attain to the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal of the community is to mature and grow into Christ, to, to grow into his stature, which doesn't ultimately happen in total until he returns for us and we are all our sins are removed completely and we are instantly matured to that point. But until then, we attain to the unity of the faith. So we all have faith. There is one faith, but we are to all attain a unity in the faith. We are to mature together in the knowledge of the Son of God. We all know the Son of God, but we are maturing to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are maturing to mature manhood, or the the footnote says, to a full-grown man. Now, here's what's very telling about this is that the vision here is plural. He says to the church, you're to grow together to become a mature person in Christ. Now, elsewhere Paul talks about you individually being conformed to the image of Christ. But here he's talking about the church until, verse 13, we all attain. What's the goal of the people of God? We all attain together maturity, unity in faith, unity in our knowledge of the Son of God, growing into a mature man, not a mature people. The image he gives here is not you all become a mature people. He's like you are all maturing into a mature person because he's talking about the corporate nature of our growing together. The goal of the community is that we grow together to become a mature person that would reach the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is, so that we would be like Christ, so that our character would be mature and godly and holy like our Savior who gave his life for us, and we are all to attain that together. And so the community I'm a part of, it is to be my burden and my care, and I would say a qualified, 
I'd want to qualify this, my responsibility. There's qualifications there. I'm not ultimately responsible for someone else's sin. But I am responsible to take an interest in their spiritual life because we are to be maturing together into one person in the measure of Jesus Christ. Until we all attain. When does the kind of community building and fellowship and these kind of things, when do they become unnecessary? When we all attain. We don't need care group in heaven, I don't think. Uh, I can't say that for sure. I don't know exactly what heaven's like, but I don't think we're going to be sitting in a living room. Uh, I know we're not going to be sitting in a living room confessing sin, that's for sure. I think we're going to be around the throne. But, but until that day, we are to mature together. And, and maturing together looks like this, that we're no longer to be children. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafty, craftiness, and by deceitful schemes, in, in deceitful schemes, rather. So here's what he's saying. Don't be a child that's tossed to and fro in, in the waves. I know that's a metaphor, but it brings back a very real picture to me, uh, literally. All my kids were raised in the early years in Southern California, where there are real beaches with real waves. And... Uh, and um, so, and, and they were all there during the diaper days. And I can remember taking each of them at various times out to the beach and they would just sort of wade in. And I can remember this being tossed to and fro because they were in the diaper days going in their swimsuit out there. This was prior to, you know, NASA designed swim diapers or whatever they have for now. These were the, this was like old school pampers that you get a little water in it and it's about 134 pounds at that point. <laughs> So I can see him going old school diaper and just hardly standing once it's filled with water, but wading out and the waves are coming and they're kind of looking back and this is kind of fun. And all of a sudden until that big one comes and just bowls them over and then going and picking them up and I could pick them up. I could actually pick them up out of the waves and hold them. Maybe not with that diaper, rip the diaper off and then I could hold them, but I could actually pick them up and hold them and I'm standing still. Why is that? Because my stature gives me stability in the waves. Their stature minimizes their stability in the waves. That's the nature of a child. So he says, don't be a child tossed to and fro by the waves. You lack stature. You lack maturity. You're dumb enough to think you can go out, or not dumb enough, ignorant enough to think you can go out there without getting knocked over by the waves until you learn the hard way. And that's what he's saying. So he's saying, we're to all to attain to a maturity in Christ. We're all not to be like kids that are tossed to and fro, back and forth. It, sometimes the Bible commends being a child, like have childlike faith. But the Bible does not commend childlike instability where you are not only tossed by the waves, but what does he say? Verse 14, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every time a new doctrine blows by, you're fascinated by that. You run after that. You check out the latest technique and you're just endlessly fascinated by new ideas as opposed to old sound truth in the gospel. Tossed to and fro, carried about by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Children are naive. Children can be drawn in by human cunning. And he says, in, in, the, in the community, we're all to grow up together so that we're mature as one man. We're corporately mature so that nobody gets tossed back and 
forth, knocked around, chasing the latest and the greatest. See, what he's saying is we're too mature corporately out of instability and we mature together anchored in the stability of the community. The community, the people of God, the Word of God, the people of God provide stability for us to mature together. So running here and there and chasing the latest and the greatest, that's immature. Firm, standing firm in truth, that is maturity. Maturity is stability in this picture. Maturity is wisdom, faithfulness, others' orientation. Maturity is responsibility, self-denial, long haul, finding my place, investing my life in acts of service both within and outside of the community, though this passage primarily has within the community in view. That I'm investing my life, that I'm being equipped and that having begun being equipped, I'm doing acts of ministry within the church. Uh, Having opportunities where ministry is facilitated, I'm doing ministry. I'm doing what I can to serve others, to care for others, to listen to others, to practically help others, to counsel others, to pray for others, to communicate scripture to others, to give encouragement to others. We're appropriate and with humility to correct others. That I'm involved in that. I'm being equipped. I'm involved in that. And we as a people on a smaller unit, we as a care group are maturing together. Our stature is becoming more like Christ. Not because we're chasing the latest, greatest thing, running around and flipping from here and there, waddling in our diaper, but because we are in the long haul, investing our lives, being patient with one another, being gentle with one another, being humble with one another, walking through all the difficulties that are found in people's lives intersecting with one another by the grace of God, empowered by the gospel, filled with the Spirit, equipped by leaders to play our part so that we all mature together. That's the picture that he has here. And he shows kind of what that looks like in verse 15. Don't be a child, verse 14, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This passage just slams the hyper-individualism, the hyper-spiritual individualism of our culture. Now, it doesn't literally say without community and without others. I mean, you can make no strides or no steps in maturity. It doesn't say that. But what it clearly says is that God's ideal, God's plan, God's prescription is that we all grow up together. That we together grow up. That we're together equipped by the gifts that the reigning Christ has poured out, that we together are deploying our gifts, that we are together seeking to attain the maturity of the fullness of the stature of Christ, that we are together seeking not to be tossed about, but planted firmly and rooted deeply, that we are to grow up in every way into him, that we are to grow up into Christ, and that we're to reach it, that, that, together together. So 
if I'm not together, I'm missing out. But if I'm not together, I'm also not doing my part so that the whole matures. And the whole is to be my concerns, to be all of our concerns. How, how does that happen that we grow up weather? Well, he says here, speaking the truth in love. It, it literally, the word speaking is not in the original context, in the original text rather, it's added because what literally reads is truthing in love. And so I think translators have thought, well, the way you truth in love is speak the truth in love. That's that, I'm sure that is the idea. I'm not arguing with that insertion. But just to say that it literally is truthing in love. How do we grow up together? We, as a community, we truth in love. I mean, truth is our currency, the currency of our relationships. We are to be real. That's truth. Uh, we are to um, be authentic about who we are. We're to acknowledge our weaknesses and failures. We're to be humble. That's, that's truth. We're to walk in integrity and seek to be trustworthy. That's truth. We're to speak truthfully, to lack hypocrisy, um, to acknowledge the realities of the, of the limitations, the weaknesses uh, of our own lives. We are to be real. We're also to desire to hear truth from one another to tell truth, to hear truth, to be a truthful community. Not only a truthful community, but a loving community. There must be both. If it was just a truthful community, that might mean saying everything we thought at all times. Uh, but that's not the case. I love what John Stott said. He says, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. So we are to speak the truth in love. That is the nature of life in community. Grow up in Christ. We are to grow up in Christ. And he goes on to say that that requires connection. Look at verse 16. This is the last verse. All of this is under the churches to grow up. From whom the whole body, verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're to grow up in Christ, the whole body. We are joined and held together. This word join, I read, was a word that was sometimes used to describe um, a process where a mason would cut and smooth a stone and then fit them together. Uh, stones that would fit without mortar uh, had to be cut in such a way, smoothed in such a way uh, that they would fit and join tightly. And we're joined together by Christ. God calls all of us to have a place where we are joined with others. You may be a Christian from another church. This isn't the place where you're joined. You're joined somewhere else, and that's a wonderful thing. But all Christians are to be fitted and joined uh, really right on top of each other without the, the need of mortar. We are joined stones fit together. God sovereignly fits our lives together in a process that will enable us to mature, will enable us to help others mature so that we grow together in Christ. Christ does that for his church. He doesn't just throw us as a pile of rocks together and say, hey, hope it works out. You know, hope, hope, hope a building arises out of that pile of rocks. But he cuts and he joins and he places together. And my experience is the stones he usually places to one another are not the stones I would have guessed. Not the stones I would have predicted, 
not the ones, uh, sometimes not the ones we choose even, but that's, that's God places us together and grows us up so that we would be a, a witness of his great work. It's a glorious thing. Each has a gift. Each is equipped. Christ joins together. And each, he says here, each part, end of verse 16, working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Obviously, by the grace of God. When it says it builds itself up in love, he's not saying, oh, we don't need God. Let's just do it. Um, he's not saying that, but he's saying the way the church is built up, the way God chooses to build up and mature the people of God is every part doing their part, joined together by him, empowered by his spirit and growing and attaining the level that he has, which is to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious plan. It's a glorious plan that we get to participate in. You know, it's not a have to, it is a get to, we get to participate in the greatest thing that is happening on the planet, which is God saving people, putting them into his building, his people, his church, building them up together so that he may receive glory, so that they may mature, and so that the world may have a witness and others may be drawn in. Because together, there is a witness and a picture of Jesus Christ to the world that can never result from just one individual. God's, God's desire is to reveal his glory and his wisdom through his people, not just through isolated individuals. He does both. But there's a picture when we're built together of the work of Christ that he uses to draw others to himself. So what's the big deal about community? Well, community exists for the glory of God that the people of God may grow up and may mature. And that's what he has for each of us. It's a lofty goal, a grand vision, a glorious purpose that God has for all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have done in building us together, joining us together, working in our midst. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to do so. God, I want to ask today that you would help each of us mature, that you would help all of us mature together. God, that is a large request, but we want to ask that you would help us own and bear and care and carry the responsibility of growing together, us together before you for your glory with a heart that others might be folded in and grow with us, Lord, those who don't know you in particular. God, we just pray for that, that we would be the kind of community that doesn't just gather around some common interest or just because we like everybody or a wandering community with no mission. But we pray, Lord, you draw us together with this high, lofty mission of making disciples, that we would be maturing and growing together. Lord, help us not squander our lives off doing our own deal, but help us to be a part of your community and what you're doing. Jesus. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.